I'm Richard Stanley, and you're listening to Shock Treatment with Mal and Maddie. Welcome back. Another episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie. Um, this, uh, you might, might as well say Shock Treatment TV, you know, an episode of that, because we'll be doing that big with this. We got a nice guest with us today. Um, killing it, you know. Killing it. You know what I mean? Killing it. You know what I mean? Mad Mel, how you doing over there? <laughs> I'm doing. It's just funny you keep saying it when I have Pennywise, like, surrounding me in the back i know he's creeping around that corner we gotta, yep. <laughs> we gotta teeter him out get him in there a little more there you yeah. go just for you we're gonna do a big, <laughs> a, a big haul of uh well there's been talks of the of the of, of the show moving into a big studio a big boombastic media studio we'll see how that goes that could be the future big big things for the new year I like big things. I'm excited about the fact that the ban has been lifted for travel between Rhode Island and Massachusetts. I like big things and I cannot lie. A lot of others can't deny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. When opportunity walks in with that, I forget the lyric. You must whip it. Whip it. Whip it good. Now we're going to a different <laughs> song. So, um, yeah, but today, the, the, you know, do, do you want to, should we... Did you want to talk about anything before we brought the guest in, or you want to just kind of kick it into gear? I said we just kick it into gear. We'll kick it into gear. That sounds good with me. I'm always a fan, so without further ado, you know, folks out there um, that have been getting down with that thing called the Basket Case franchise, of course, not just being Basket Case. I've been called the Basket Case many a time in my day. I know Mad Mel probably heard that. Definitely (laughs) has. Bad Mel puts it on her her, her taxes or her occupation basket case. <laughs> it's for real. <laughs> we got nothing but love for her. Nothing but love for you, baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, we got the man, the myth, the legend, Dwayne Bradley, your boy from Basket Case. Kevin Ben Hentick is uh, joining us in the building. So without any further ado, we'll bring him on into the situation. Is it snowing up there? Did you guys get yeah, it? Yeah, it's snowing pretty bad over here. How about you? You got it? You got snow? Oh, yeah, it's still snowing up now. They started, and this is the last like wave of it, and then it'll be done. But it's not much, maybe maybe an inch. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Kevin's up on the East Coast, too, so he's probably dealing with some of that snow right now. It's uh, It started up. like I didn't even hear that we were going to get snow, and then it just all of a sudden started. <laughs> Out of the blue, and for a second, I was like, "Well, we'll get a little flurry; it'll pass, and that'll be that. No big deal." Um, but unfortunately, I blinked my eyes and I opened them up again, and it was ten minutes later. I should probably get yeah. that checked out. I knew it was going to uh, snow today, but it was packed up. It was filling up the pocket. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was going to snow today, but it started sooner than they had said it was going to start. Uh oh, I sense trouble. <laughs> Now, is he going to get upset that we're not talking to him, too, at the moment? We'll talk to him as well. 
<laughs> He'll have to mask up too. <laughs> I need that mask. I need a nice basket case mask. That would be awesome. I dig it. Add it to the collection. <laughs> I didn't jump on the band that like that mask bandwagon. If I, I knew we were in it for a long haul like the, like this, I would have been. But I've I got the the medical mask. I wish I had a nice more stylized mask. Oh, when it was Halloween and it, we still were going for it, I was buying every single one of I that I could get my hands on that was horror related at um spirit of Halloween. Yeah. We got a flea market by us that's good for that stuff. But the basket Kevin, case one we need. <laughs> we need a mask for the show. Kevin. Yes. Kevin, how are you over there? I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Doing fantastic. Very, very well. Despite the cold. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know. How's it up there? You get you getting some snow right now or Yeah, yeah. We're having a, a really cool storm. Just yeah. as it was getting dark, apparently there was a, uh, a red sunset above the clouds. And so we have this dark gray reddish color in the snow for yeah, about yeah. really cool. That is cool. Right. I would have been outside trying to take pictures of it and, you know, make it try and make it look as good as it looks like looking at it in person. Yeah, we were. It's hard. It's hard to do. That's Where are you guys all located? Where's everybody? Typing I'm in I'm in Rhode Island uh-huh. and Maddie's in Massachusetts right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where? Uh, so are you both getting the snow now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not that bad here. We maybe an inch when all said and done we'll have here. It's just really cold. We yeah. were getting it. We were getting it pretty heavy over here. When I came in, um, like about forty five minutes ago, it was like it was pretty it was more than an inch. I'd say we had, and it's sticking too, which is the worst part. It wasn't melting or anything. Up here in the mountains, they're saying three to six inches tonight. Woo! Well, that's the beauty of the mountains, right? The elevation adds adds to everything, yeah. Yeah. I guess we should be thankful because they said if the if the path had gone the way they had anticipated it to go, this would have been a blizzard and not, you know, a couple of inches here and there, depending on location. So I guess we have that going for us right now. Yep, yep. Oh yeah. So, you know, let's let's pop into a nice interview, huh? Absolutely. Have we all came so for an interview? Very nice. So, Kevin, like, um, where did the, the whole love for, for like, acting, did, were you, did you do acting in high school, or how far oh, back yeah. do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started in high school. There was a, a girl in, in my history class, uh, Cindy. Yeah. I overheard her talking to the teacher. The teacher asked her how the play was going. So I figured, well, I'll get in a play, and I can get to know Cindy. Well... The, the next play, which I auditioned for, I got the part, and but the one previous that I had heard the discussion about was Cindy's last play. <laughs> so oh. that never quite worked out. It's, that's the, 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 it's a tortured artist thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's one of those deals. At least. When did, um, like, when, so you, so you kind of, did you, did you, was it strictly, uh, uh, to, uh, to like impress a girl type deal or you you had to have had a little bit of uh you know when did well, it catch you if, if 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 you didn't in the beginning when did it catch you uh almost immediately yeah. um you know the idea of being able to take on another character uh 
appealed to me. I was good at it. I had fun at it, you know, because I was in that era, I was shy to the point of mental retardation. So <laughs> it was the way out. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing that we talk about that often. It's like, because we make films too and do the shows. It's like you, like I grew up very shy. Like I was very quiet and I just kind of took everything in. But like when you start to do these endeavors, it's like you realize that you have to kind of break out of that mold and you got to be more outspoken and be able to, you know, talk with people and stuff like that and do the whole deal, the guy to do, do what you want to do, you know, as yep. well as be a good human, I guess, too, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting, you know, we often see ourselves doing those things. So there's, a, there's an interesting parallel, though, in my I think in my 11th, 11th grade, uh, I, I did the lead in Death Takes a Holiday. And my uncle, uh, whose name was Whitfield Connor, had done the, the same part in Death Takes a Holiday, I don't know, 40 years earlier or something. I like that. I like the return, keeping it in the family. That's what I like. I felt it was a sign. Right? It is. It's fate. <laughs> Definitely. I pulled up to the gas station today, and the the, the, lad, the person before me, 666, was the amount of gas they got. I tried to take that, tried not to take that as a sign. <laughs> so if it goes, uh, if this is my last interview with folks, that's what happened. You're going out with a bang. That's what happened. So, you made it here from the gas station, though, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, uh, this is all in the bathroom. This is the gas station bathroom, actually. They got wow. it go, they going pretty good. <laughs> nice gas station. <laughs> like that? Yeah. It's an, it's an expensive thing. Um, so, like, when did you uh, – I think you did um, – in 19 – was it 74? Was the jump into film from theater? How did the jump from, like, theater into film? Uh, well, um in 74, I moved to New York City to okay. uh, study at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Um, in 75, I met Ilsa. Ilsa plays the social worker in the film with the, the glasses. Yeah. And uh, she knew Frank. She said, I know this guy that makes films. You should meet him. So I said, okay. So I went and meet him, met him. Um, he uh, put me in three, like, extra parts in Slash of the Knife, which was the film just prior to Basket Case. Yeah. And uh, I guess he liked the way I worked. And uh, I was always on his case to use student actors, you know. You, yeah. You'll get better results, and we need the help, you know. So uh, a few months later, he um, he called me up and went through the whole story of Basket Case. He, like, performed the whole film on the phone to me. He said, what do you think? Are you interested? And I said, yep. That was it. And the rest is history. Yep. Yeah, Frank's such an interesting dude. And his body of work's great. I love all his movies, you know what I mean? When uh, Was there anything eccentric or very interesting about him when you first met him? Or was he just kind of a very normal guy? No, he's, he's not uh, your typical guy yeah um his apartment one the long wall in the apartment is full floor to ceiling length to length too deep of films and videos yeah and one of the things that was most remarkable about this when we were filming uh when we would run into a, a difficulty or a problem you know we'd be standing around 
well, why don't we do this? He said, no, they did that in such and such a film. Okay, so I know we do that. Oh, no, they did that in such. He's like a walking encyclopedia of the genre. Yeah. So uh, that's where he gets that from. That the Rain Man or Paro? That's awesome. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> him and QT. Him and QT. Yeah. I love that. You know, I always the filmmaker. I, I whenever I meet a filmmaker and you go and talk about movies with them, and they don't really know a lot about movies or like have a lot of you know can reference them. It's I always think that's kind of weird. So when I see those filmmakers, you know, Joe Dante's also like that. Tarantino, like like we said, um, a lot of them. You know, Del Toro. They they live it. They really live it. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. I think um, I think Frank even owned something weird or was had a heavy hand in something weird video for a while. Yeah, um, he did. And yeah. they, you know, they were, they had to have been, you have to give them complete credit for like the life that Herschel Gordon Lewis has right now, because mm-hmm. like his entire career has really been resurfaced through something weird. We're able to see that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Frank was always a, a Herschel Gordon Lewis fan yeah, from yeah. when I first met him. Oh yeah. There's the, all, all Frank's movies drip, the drip influence from Herschel Gordon Lewis, which is great. You know what I mean? I mean, Basket Case in itself, the original is such a, it's very Herschel Gordon Lewis to the key, the, even like the characters and such, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, thank you. Thank very, you. Very great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you, were you a big fan of uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis as well? I was not until I met Frank. Yeah. But, um, there's, there's a lot of interesting uh, cross connections in Basket Case. For example, um, Dino is the man in the pink bathrobe in the second floor of the Hotel Broslin. Yeah. We, we run back and forth by him a lot. He was working at the American Academy then. He's now the artistic director, I believe, of the American Academy. And Ruth Newman, who plays our aunt, was the registrar of the American Academy. Yeah. So we got, a, we got as many people that we... Oh, and... Um, in the scene where uh, Beverly knocks on my door to warn me about Joe, uh, you see a guy in a cloth cap go by in the hallway outside. Yeah, that's Bruce Torbay, the uh, 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 the CD. That's cool. I love that that you know pay, pays the respects. It's like you know that they've gone on to like still you know get acquire this like respect in it. You know, it's funny because like with the horror, you know, it's like. Some people might not, will give it a hard time, but it's like, you can't deny these cult classic films, you know what I mean? You can't deny how much an audience loves these films, even if they're not your cup of tea, which we love them, but you know what I mean? So it's funny, you'll hear, you know, it's cool to see people come from that and like, go to this big, you know, teaching at schools and stuff like that and being, you know, high respectable positions. And it's funny where it all started. You'll have that with like a, uh, like a Peter Jackson, even Sam Raimi, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The Evil Dead movies, uh, you know, Bad Taste. And they went on to do, you know, Spider-Man movies, Lord of the Rings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know. All art, you, you know, whether you're talking about film, dance, painting, sculpture, all art, if it, if it has guts, if it has some truth and fire to it, then it'll work. Yeah. You know, that's the real trick. Yeah. Well, since we're speaking of art, I know you also do uh, rock carving, right? And I photography, I saw as well, too. Oh, thank you. Yes, yes, thank you. Oh, wait. I like it. I love that. 
Um, yes, I'm a sculptor. Uh, that was the other thing that happened around the same time when I met Elsa. Um, uh, a girlfriend of mine and I went up to the Little Carnegie Cinema, uh, which I, I doubt it's still there, but it was right around the corner from the Carnegie Hall. Yeah. And it was an art house uh, place. They would um, they showed old Fellini films and Ingmar Bergman and that. And the night we went, they were playing an old Ken Russell film called The Savage Messiah, which is about a sculptor, uh, a real sculptor, Henri Gautier, who lived during the time of World War One. And in the course of that film, they showed a close-up of a real carver's hand yeah. working a block of marble. And I was so turned on to and by the idea of a rock as yeah. a plastic medium. That was pretty much it for me. That's cool. So film kind of opened you up to your love of that. Interesting. It's all full circle. And and before Frank had offered me the part in Basket Case, I had already decided to switch my focus, my primary focus, to stone carving. Uh, but it was too good of a part to, to pass on. Yeah, yeah. For uh, for anybody listening, you would well express your opinion of how important um, doing these creative, artistic things are just in life, especially now during like crazy COVID madness times. Well, you know the interesting thing about. Uh, they call the creative process making special. And um, according to the academics, we've been doing this as long as we have been a species. So there has to be an evolutionary advantage to it. I'm not an academic and it's not my field of study, but um, uh, a lot of people think, well, arts, it's a luxury or it's a, it's a way to get out of real work. I tell you what, you swing a two-pound hammer all afternoon, it's a lot of work. Yeah. I, so it's art is not a luxury, is, yeah. is my point. Art is, in fact, the, the best way to heal uh, from addictions, from uh, PTSD, from tr childhood traumas. Um, they are discovering that... Um, like if you, I don't know if you have kids, but if you try, when my kids were little, you know, if yeah. I'd ask them how their day was, fine. Yeah. Well, what did you do? Work. Nothing. You know, they, they're not going to talk to you about what's on their mind, but you set them down with crayons or clay or paints and suddenly it all comes right out. And it's, it, we've, we're just now as a species discovering that art is the way to bridge that gap between yeah. a trauma, for example, and healing. So it's really um, all arts. And I, I'm talking about all arts, music, dance, painting, whatever yeah. you're into. Um, yeah. It's not a luxury. Yeah. It's very therapeutic. You know what I mean? Like you said, with getting over things, you'll notice we all, we talk about, you know, this, you, you can create something from nothing. And even if you yourself feel maybe empty or like you're not of no worth, you can create something beautiful in front of you that, you know, might p pick yourself up type deal. You know what I mean? It's a beautiful thing, you know, and to go into the artistic thing of music, I always like bringing this up to music. So powerful. I know you're a big fan of music. Um, they say music's one of those weird things. Like the ma it's magic. Cause like you can't see it or you can't feel it. I mean, you can't physically feel it, but you can, you take it in 
and like it can it does you know makes everybody feel you oh, know different yeah. things you know you, you know yeah, what I mean? no matter no matter what type of mood you're in there's something that you're gonna find that'll suit that mood so and and no matter what type of music you prefer yeah true. Uh, ev- everyone has had the experience of uh, being young and having an issue or the girl doesn't like you or, you know, the teacher's on your case or whatever. And that song comes on the radio and you just feel better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a powerful tool. Realistically, you know, you can play a, a Benny Hinn, Hinn uh, Benny Hinn, that's the dude, right? The, the Benny Hill. Benny Hinn, that's the religious guy. Um, Benny Hill, like the, the, you know, the little theme and you might get a smile on your face, get the memory. You could play a sad song that reminds you of heartbreak and it makes you cry. You know what I mean? It's a very, very powerful thing, you know? Yeah. If I'm, if I'm not feeling centered or grounded, I pick up my old grats and bang on that for a while and I feel much better. Yeah, for sure. It's that creating thing. It's that, you know, the, the positivity of it, you know, that creative energy is nice. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's pop back into the ba- the basket case film. How when that first that movie first came out, how was that received? Oh, it wasn't doing well at all. Yeah, we were tanking, in fact. And uh, Frank knew Joe Bob Briggs, and um, he wanted to show Basket Case on his. Um, drive-in movie show. Yeah. Frank said, well, you know, it's cut. And he wouldn't show the cut version. So Frank sneaked him an uncut version. <laughs> and people really liked it. So what happened is the uh, distributor of the film at that time started with no fanfare, just very quietly switching the uncut, uh, the cut versions for the uncut versions. And all of a sudden, it took off. So, thank you, Joe Bob. Yeah, Joe Bob is a good man. We interviewed him for a doc. We did a. We were part of a, the B documentary too. All through me, Kevin, Joe Bob were all part of that. Yeah, Joe Bob is. Uh, he's he, he's a lot of people helped out a lot of people. It's good to see him kind of get that. That show needed to come back. People love that show. You know. Yeah. Yeah. He and he the internet one. with every time he starts a new season of it. Yeah. And he's another one that's a, like a walking encyclopedia of the genre. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The um, did it have? What it, I know that it, you know, as it started to pick up, you know, you were starting to get noticed more and such. Was it one of those things, or because this was a, your first big starring thing that you were the star of that was you know g- gathering steam? You know what I mean? What was that like being a part of? A film that was starting to, you know, gather, gather momentum and into what it was about to become, you know. It took a long time for it to, to it get that up to speed. Um, for example, in uh, when the second film was playing at about a dozen theaters in Manhattan during the day, I was calling up agents trying to get an agent. And, you know, you get the standard, send us your picture and resume if we can use it, we'll call you. So yeah, it's it was a long it was a long road, but um, again, you know, if 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 what you're if what you're doing has some truth to it, has some fire and guts, it resonates with people. And we also we stumbled upon an archetype, you know, because everyone feels like 
the weird outsider. Yeah. And also, you know, we all of us carry around that dark half that we try to keep hidden because people won't like it or people might not like us if we let it out. So um, we've kind of stumbled on an archetype that most people can identify and understand. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, it's beloved. Frank's, um, in the vibe of the Basket Case films, you know, I think it kind of helps, you know, solidify. When people bring up body horror, they always like to bring up, you know, David Cronenberg, but I say you got to bring up, you got to bring up Frank Henenlotter if you're going to talk about body <laughs> horror. You have to, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so going into the part two, you know, the films kind of got a little more uh, comedic, you know what I mean? Um, did, is that a, a direction that you, you, you were cool with going or did you have any, did you want to go a little more serious? Were you just happy to be a part of the show? How was that? Uh, you know, I suppose had I been writing yet. Yeah, you know, I would have taken it in a different direction, but I, I trust Frank completely. Yeah. He's kind of a genius, and um, uh, I got to work with Annie Ross, which was amazing, yeah. and uh, and Gabe, of course, again on both two and three. You know, Gabe Bartolos. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't pass that up for the world. Well, I remember you just rewatched two and three. No, that was, they, I, I can't, I, I hate to even say that they weren't even rewatches for me. It was the first time I watched both of those. I had seen the original Basket Case numerous times because that was one of those movies I watched way too young. <laughs> because I, you know, that was when that first came out, I watched that, like when it first came out on VHS. Anyways, I think I, I watched that movie with my parents. So I grew up watching that and I, don't know why I never watched the sequels until like this week because they're absolutely hysterical, but at the same token, they're creepy because like the way the characters are, it's just like, wow, what the yeah. hell was he thinking? How did these, <laughs> how did these creatures come about? You know, just the, the work on each character is just out like so out there. It's like, wow. And it just so amazingly and beautifully done. Like, I was like, I just, like I just, I think I watched part three yesterday, last night, just last night. So that like, that one's really fresh in my mind. Gabe and Frank are nuts. You know, the second film, um, they filmed Frankenhooker and, and Basket Case 2 back to back. So they not only had to produce all of the freaks for our <laughs> film, but they had to produce all of the effects for Frankenhooker. Yeah. These guys are nuts to even entertain an idea like that. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, if somebody came out with that, you'd be wondering what drugs they're on <laughs> to wow. come up with, you know, those creations just because they are so out there. And I'm like, I'm looking at them and I'm laughing and I'm like, well, I shouldn't be laughing because they're supposed to be kind of scary. But at the, you can't help but laugh at the the monstrosities that they are. They're on super crack. That answer your question. <laughs> super crack. Yeah, yeah. All the lack of sleep from filming two movies at once, you know, it's true. put some good ideas in there. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you and Patty Mullen should have like a podcast. That'd be cool. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you guys have met, I'm sure, right? Doing the convention oh, yeah. deal. Yeah. The last time was, at, I think, at the New Jersey Horror Con, I believe. Yeah. Uh, 
When did, uh, do you remember when your first convention was or when you first got into it? Oh, man. First one was a Fangoria. Tony Timpone brought me out to L.A. to do one out there. And I was supposed to play music. Yeah. And like two days before I was to leave, I was working on a carving in Spanish cedar. And I sliced open this finger. Uh. And uh, I'm sorry, Tony, but I sounded like shit that, <laughs> that weekend. <laughs> I did not play well. And do uh, you remember what year that was? Because that Weekend of Horrors was one of the first ones, I think. And yeah. The, um, that con, I got to sit next to the guy who played the pilot in the original version of The Thing. Okay. I'm not, I'm not remembering his, his name now, but short red-headed guy. He was the pilot. Yeah. And... Uh, so we spent the weekend, you know, bullshitting and stuff. And at one point, this guy come, this guy in an entourage comes up with still cameras and a video camera. And he says, I bought, I bought this in a church yard sale for $5. I wonder if you'd take a look at it. He says, yeah, sure. So he pulls out of this plastic bag, this kind of puke green jacket, vaguely military looking. And in it, it says the name of the studio and Arnes Wardrobe 6B or whatever. And uh, um, he uh, verified it. That was part of the costume, the uh, the wardrobe for the thing, for the, wow. uh, the original version. And he found this in a yard sale or yeah. a church bazaar or something somewhere in California. It's crazy where that, that stuff winds up. You know? Yeah, that would be that would be something that I'd end up kicking myself for getting rid of now. Yeah. Well, we yeah. had a, we had, we had a friend of ours on the show, Chris McGibbon. He was telling us about all the, you know, he, when he was in California, they had all those storage lockers for all those, like, yeah, like that, like a little smaller, but bigger independent releases. Mm-hmm. Um, he was working on like a night of the demons doc. So it was like all night of the demons stuff. And he's like, he, he had to throw it all away. And I was like, horrified to hear that you know what i mean yeah i was like what you throw it away because i guess it's like a write-off like the company i don't know what the deal is with it but it's like some type of write-off thing where you can't give it away you gotta throw it away type deal yeah something terrible. Like that. very sad i'm sure i'm sure things didn't i'm sure some things I'm didn't sorry, did it walked away the trash yeah i'm sure i doubt i doubt everything got thrown out but um suppose supposedly i think everything's supposed to go into the dumpster yeah. Which is yeah. crazy. That's Criminal. that's very sad to hear. Yeah. Think of all the crazy things. I believe did Archie Bunker's chair end up in the trash, or did that go into like the Smithsonian? Because when the what's crazy mm-hmm. is like those huge shows when they they cancel those shows and the next day they just clear the set, throw it in the dumpster, and a new show comes in. It's it, it, you'd probably cry if you found out about legendary set you know set dressing and props from shows that you grew up with just went to the trash. Horrified. Yeah. Well, I guess we don't have to worry about basket case ever going anywhere because it's part of the permanent collection in the Museum of Modern Art. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How'd that come about? Um, they were doing a um, a the primary exhibit is about the East Village in that era, and uh, one theater in particular, or a club, Club Fifty Seven, maybe. I'm afraid I can't remember the exact name, but yeah. Uh, and Frank used to hang out there, 
So they contacted him, and uh, the rest is history, as you say. Uh, we we all went down to that. They did a state-of-the-art restoration. Frank was ecstatic about it because the guy that was doing the film portion of the restoration called him up and said, you know, in this one scene, there's there's a hair, you know, uh, you could see it flickering on the edge <laughs> for a moment. Do you want us to remove it? And Frank said, no, no, that's in the original negative. And the guy loved that, the fact that he wanted to leave it. Yeah. And uh, they were able to lighten it up so it looks much better, you know. So it's the way it was intended to be. Yeah, I agree. I mean, those little imperfections, if you will, are kind of, you know, that makes it, it kind of makes, creates the vibe of it. Like a lot of people. Get well, it was shot on sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going up to thirty-five. Yeah, and the Blu-ray always looked uh, looks incredible. You know what I mean? There's been multiple releases of it by now, uh, box yeah. steel books and box sets of it. But yep. that was one of those. Yeah, that was one of those movies I knew was shot on like a like a sixteen millimeter grain film. But like same thing with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I believe that was also shot on sixteen, blown up into thirty-five. And I'm like, you're like, but when you watch it on Blu-ray, when they did the transfer, it looks so good because it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The technology is very good now. Yeah. Um, they had a, I remember the camera, they had a special eyepiece which showed where the lines would, where the frame would be. And they, they did uh, special lighting tricks to highlight certain things to, to help with the blow up. Yeah, it's, I'm not a tech guy. So. Yeah, I, I know you were a Michigan guy up until the the New York move. You ever run into the old Ramey brothers over there in Michigan town? No, 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 I didn't. Though Steven Spielberg grew up one town away from me. Really, I always thought yeah. he was a straight LA guy from the get go. For some no, reason, no, no, Oak Park, Michigan. He was made with celluloid film and all types of, <laughs> yeah. The yeah. um, get the the clowns ICP. They're from Michigan too. They 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 get a fun crossover. You know the Juggalo world. We get a lot of Juggalos uh-huh. that like our show. Um, it's fun because you'll meet people in the horror community. Some people completely despise and hate their guts, and some people like them. And it, it's fun because they they're really just horror movies and music. Are you familiar with Insane Clown Posse? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's a fun deal. Yeah, they used to come to Rock and Shock and stuff. There. Yeah, which was And uh, Beverly Bonner, who played Casey in our film, is also from Michigan. Okay. Did you guys, did you, did you know beforehand or no? No, no, no. How was the community? In, uh, well, I guess there really was no community if you were moving out to New York, right? At the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. New York was pretty weird in the mid seventies. It was the bottom of the economic trough. So, um, people had been leaving New York in droves. You know, the East Village was a lot of junkies. And so it was an interesting, but fun time to be there. You know, New Wave was just starting. You know, this is pre punk. Um, there was a great music scene, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was it was a fun time to be there, um, and and you know we made our own community. Uh, of course. We to film Basket Case, we spent almost a year filming it because there was no money. You know, yeah. 
Um, and as a stage actor, that was one of my favorite aspects about it. Because Frank would say, we, we only have enough film for one take, so we're going to rehearse the shit out of it. Yeah. And we stage actors like that. That's how we work best. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, we built sets in Uji's Loft, uh, and we would just, you know, some, sometimes there, like if we didn't have enough money for lunch for the crew, we'd just shoot in the morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we, uh, everybody pitched in. For the example, uh, when, when B's on top of the girl, and the camera's going back and forth. That's me pulling focus because the crew freaked out about that scene. So Frank said, "All right, that's it. Nobody's nobody's in here." He sent them all away, and it was yeah. just Edgar, Frank, her, and me. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we did everything. You know. Um, yes. So it helps you get to learn a little bit more about what's going on in each scene, and you know, we, it gives you more experience. Other than just yep. the acting portion as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And, it, and it's fun to watch, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing. I, I love watching people who know what they're doing and do it well. Mm-hmm. For example, there's no money for special effects. So how do you get B to leap out of the basket at the camera? Springs. Go cut out the bottom and push it forward. This is the genius of Frank Hennelotter. So yeah. we start off, you, you take an A-frame ladder, you hang the camera upside down from the ladder. We start B at the finish position, run him into the basket, slam the lid down, flop the film, and run it backwards. Yeah. That's Frank. Hell yeah. Very effective. He's raised, was film, you know? yeah, raised on film. Yeah, Frank, you know, was he I'm, sure, I'm so, sorry, go was Frank a film film school guy? Do you know, or is he self taught just from the films? Watching, I think he's probably self taught. I've never yeah. asked him that though, but I'm yeah. pretty sure he's self taught. You know, yeah. he he learned filmmaking on in Times Square, Forty Second Street. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah watching these films yeah i love it I, I went there when i went to new york last time i well the first time in the lab we always kind of get dropped off on canal street up by up by the but it's like it just uh it's completely changed i wish i that's one of those things i wish i could go back in time and just kind of go spend a saturday night friday night or something out there you know what i mean yeah, yeah. well i'm glad we got some of it on film you know the sure, old yeah. square that was a weird shoot too um, we had we we were threatened by yeah. store owners. Yeah, they didn't want us filming them. Did you guys do that gorilla really gorilla style, or did you try and pull permits? Yeah, and, uh, no, 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 no. That and Statue <laughs> of Liberty were purely uh, unauthorized. <laughs> I like it. Good. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. So you shoot when you were shooting in a rough area like that. You had to have you guys have to keep like extra security, so to speak, people around to watch equipment and stuff to make sure people just didn't, didn't go walking off with it? Well, we didn't have a lot of equipment. Like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> nowadays, even a TV show has 12 trucks full yeah. of stuff, you know. Uh, for us, it was Edgar's van, you know. Um, but at one point, 
uh, Frank was toying with the idea of making a hotel Broslin at a an actual hotel that was right kitty corner from Madison Square Garden, and we had, you know, these these guys were coming up to us, you know, give me fifty bucks, I won't steal your cable. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. Yeah. That didn't quite work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I expected a lot of that. Yeah. I'll be quiet. One of those things. If you want us to stop yelling, you got to give us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they get to be extras or stagehands, just you know, so your equipment doesn't go missing. Oh, they want that money. They want the money. They don't. Want, they don't <laughs> care about that extra stuff. No, I know that, but I'm just saying that that's how that's the way they're rationalizing this. You guys get to keep your stuff, and we're not going to hawk it to go buy a burger or a bottle across the street. Oh, exactly. Yeah, rather the burger. <laughs> Support the burger over the bottle, poor guys out there. So, like, you know, how was it? we do? Like I said, with the films, it, it is so different now with the release. When you're talking about how, you know, he got that that uncut version slid into the theatrical. What you were saying, the rotation, um, like we don't know. You know, the the even in theatrical now is completely different. It's all digital even then. You know, were you did you were you, were you able to see? I know it was mainly kind of the producers and Frank and them probably doing all that behind the scenes, sending it off. But like, do you remember anything about that time and era of sending out reels to drive-ins and theaters? To uh, no, I wasn't involved in the uh, in the post at all. Yeah, um, I, I do remember that during production, you know, uh, uh, filming. Like we would, we would do two or three scenes and then run out of money. So Frank would do a rough assemblage of what we had so far and show it to people and get a little bit more money. Yeah. Shoot another scene or two and then repeat the whole process. process. Yeah. That's pretty much how we made the film. Is that why there was so much time between the first one and the second one? The financial aspect? Frank said for years he wouldn't do a, a second one. Um, you know, he was getting offers like, well, there's a third doctor, fourth doctor or a third twin, you know, and he just wasn't interested. And he was pitching Frankenhooker. I believe this is how this played out. He was pitching Frankenhooker to Jim Glickenhaus. And he, as I said, when Frank pitches a film, he performs the whole film, yeah. all the parts, camera moves, effects, everything. Um, and by the time he finished the pitch for Frankenhooker, he was exhausted. And Jim said, that's great. What else have you got? And he just couldn't help himself. He blurted out basket case, too. And he said, all right, we'll do it. And that was how it happened. Yeah, he's seen that money flow, and he said, "Oh man, I get the money. All right." Uh-huh. Yeah, because there was there was only there was only a year between the second, like a year between the second and the third one. So yes, so how did the third one come about then? If, if the deal was originally for like a Frank and Hooker basket case two, how did the third one come into the mix? Yeah, that one I, I'm I'm not that familiar with yeah. how the third one played out. Um, that's a Frank question. Yeah. Right. I'm with you. Today is the birthday of our good pal, James Bolsamo, which I know everybody here has worked with. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. The great Jimmy James. Bull, Jimmy B. Where'd you uh, You meet Jimmy on the convention circuit? That guy does more conventions than convention owners. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
I did. I met him in uh, in Kansas City, I think, at um, uh, Chaz's Con. I'm blanking out on the name of it, though. Crypticon. Okay. Crypticon. Crypticon. Chaz DeMoss. A really cool uh, show, by the way. Yeah. Uh, if you're in that area, you should check it out. Um, the year I was there, um, um, Foresight was there. William Foresight was there. Yeah. A really cool guy. Yeah, he's a really yeah. nice guy. Yeah, I've yeah. Met him. And James was there doing his thing, of course. Yeah. Yeah, James is a good guy. We've known so him. happy birthday, James. That's okay. right. That's right. We've known James for many moons, going way back some. Um, you're, you, you must love the conventions, right? Uh, I, I enjoy them because I only do a handful every year. I don't do a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, because I want it to remain fun. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I try to pick and choose. And um, I had been lined up to do Shockstock. It's really, another really great show in Ontario, I think, or London. Um, just when COVID broke out or just before that. Yeah. So uh, as soon as this is over, that'll probably be the next one. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping they all come back in a big way. You know what I mean? Oh, they will. They will. I yeah. think so. You know, I mean, there might... are there are some conventions that are still going on. You know, I see uh, like Felissa Rose and other people posting pictures from the conventions that they're on. I'm kind of still nervous about going to one, but I mean, I guess if you practice like the whole mask thing, and I don't, I don't understand the whole, the whole social distancing thing. I don't see how that. Is working out. Because... That, kills, that kind of kills, <laughs> yeah. it, kills the convention. Yeah, because it's it's always you're always clustered. Like you can't usually move depending on what convention oh, you're yeah. at. Chiller. So last time I was at Chiller, it was wall to wall. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they're gigantic. Like um, when we we're talking about uh, what was it, the weekend of horrors? Was it the the Fangoria? Yeah. Yep. And you know, like I would. I wish I was when they when cons first started and it was only like a handful. I wish I could have went to them because, like you were saying, the guy with from the original thing was there. You know, like I always see pictures of like Lucio Fulci at like you know what I mean, like in New Jersey signing autographs, and it's like wow, like it would have been crazy to have been able to met him. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. But we have our grades now that we get to meet, which we're fortunate enough to meet them. It's crazy. I often wish that when I was younger, I could have, you know, I hear these stories of these kids that are like five or six years old and their parents travel all over the country taking them to these conventions. And it was like, oh, that would have been so sweet. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you can't win them all, I guess. You know what I mean? Can't win them all. Hopefully that our first convention this year will be uh, at least local convention will be Terracon if it happens. Do you remember the first time you realized that Basket Case and, and you, 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 sir, are a very appreciated person within the community? Thank you. You're very um, You know, um, I live in the, uh, in the uh, mountaintop region of the Catskill Mountains. And uh, I was in a little tiny store in Prattsville, New York, and somebody recognized me. And that's when I realized, wow, this is, this is starting to roll over a little. <laughs> you know, cause I don't, I don't get recognized up here all that often. Yeah. 
Up here, they know me as a crazy stone carver guy. <laughs> Not an actor. Just as, uh, just as honorable. That's what we say. You know what I mean? Which do you prefer? Do you prefer the city living or the country life? Wait a minute. I just lost you. What did I touch? Oh. Yeah. We got gotcha. you. I bumped my. I can't see you. Let me see. Oh, he probably might have changed the view. But up, but up, Huh. Let's see. Hmm. What did I touch here? <laughs> can you hear us? I can hear oh, you. Okay. I just can't as see. Long as, you, as long as you can hear us, at least we'll still right. have the audio portion well, of no, it. Well, no, I still have. I have everything. I, yeah. I, I still see video. We can okay. still see you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Don't I, have took, I hope he took a good crazy. mental picture of us. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, prefer, do you prefer city living or do you prefer the country life? You know, living in Lower Manhattan was always a love-hate thing. I, I, I don't think anybody really likes it. You love it and you hate various aspects of it. I love living in the country up here. For one thing, you know, I can leave my keys in my truck and it'll still be there tomorrow. You know? <laughs> and not on bricks or completely gone. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the the sculpture is an industrial process and uh, my last studio in New York was in Tribeca, um, which in those days was an abandoned, derelict neighborhood. Yeah, I heard they cleaned it up heavily. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. But, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I knew it wasn't going to last. At that time, people were just discovering Soho. And we could tell by the the furor that Soho was causing that Tribeca was next. And, uh, you know, to have an industrial space in the city now, you have to be rich. Yeah. It's just, I mean, uh, that space in Tribeca, for example, um, my landlord told the people above me, they were, they were looking for a nice, quiet place. Right. He said, oh, yeah, it's going to be nice and quiet. I told them that I was going to rehearse my band there and that I was a stone carver, which means jackhammer and noise. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it, it, <laughs> conflict of interest yeah. right from the get-go. Um, I mean, they were, they were fairly cool about it, the rest of the tenants in the building, but I was considered the crazy sculptor guy. Yeah. And, you know, I have a studio up here now, by the way. That's right. <laughs> if you're interested in seeing some of my work, go to my website, kevinvanh.com. Yeah. Um, Do you have any of your work on display in any of the museums in New York? Uh, museums, no. I, I'm, in a, uh, I'm in a sculpture garden in New Paltz uh, called Unison. I have a piece there. I've I've been in a few of the biennials in Kingston. Uh, I've shown a lot regionally. Um, yeah. Art art is a tough sell. You know? It is. Uh, yeah, Kingston's a big art, artsy area. I, I used to I used to know a I still know him. Um, like a country rapper comedian <laughs> named Insane Shane McCain. Have you ever heard that name? 
No. All right, no. yeah, he, he's, he does like a country rap comedy type deal, and he's from Kingston, I remember that. A, I went up there, I shot some stuff with him once. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. And Woodstock, you know. Is, Woodstock, is of course. Yeah. yeah, I know that Woodstock has a big film festival up there. I yeah, I that's worth deal. checking out if you ever have a chance. Yeah, I, I, I seen promo for it, but I either just missed it or wasn't going to be there when they had it type deal when I was there. We, uh, a couple of years ago there, we, uh, William Fitchner, uh, did a, um, Fitchner did a, uh, film called Cold Brook, I think. Mm. And it was really good. And yeah. he was there talking about the film and stories about making it and stuff. And he's, uh, he's one of my favorite actors. Uh, uh so it was interesting to see. Yeah. Those film festivals are cool. You know, one of the, when I, when, when me and Nick, first talked i said with with b doc you know my whole thing with the documentaries which is cool about them is like you get we're we're from like massachusetts where you're not going to be able to see anybody kind of cool you know what i mean so we get to venture out and such you know i think he got your interview in connecticut i think where you guys i think he got you yeah i think where he got your uh ct horror fest maybe oh yeah yeah i, I did think, that i That's think that was his show right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's a really good show, too, by the way. Yeah, that was fun. We were going to try and get up there and do that one, um, you know, more recently, like right before COVID hit type deal. COVID really killed a lot of stuff. It's so crazy. So this yeah. madness. It ain't done. It's killing spree isn't done, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah. But I'm surprised it, people aren't making uh, more films about COVID and about COVID? This, this moment, you know. The, there's a weird movie that's called Songbird or something like that that got made. I, it was like made before COVID times, but it's about COVID. So people were like all conspiracy theorizing about it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it, Michael Mann, I think, made it. So it's like a big Hollywood film type deal. Wow. Yeah, it was a weird thing. And then you got the opposite end of the spectrum where you have Full Moon put out the, the COVID zombies movie. Full Moon's Full Moon is... They're really reaching for that one. I've seen that. Like, as soon as COVID broke, they're like, we're making a COVID zombie movie. Yep. It's like, give it time. I, give it they, time. Like, I think it was like 30 days in and that movie came out. And then you watch it and it's like, yeah, you probably should have waited a little longer. <laughs> uh-huh. That's the thing with it. It's like, what happened is I think they had a zombie movie already in the, like, half done. And they just added a few <laughs> scenes to it. But it was like, they're uh, expo- exploit, exploitive, exploitative. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's one of those deals. It's like it, at the end of the day, you know, it is a tragedy. You know what I mean? And whether, whether, whoever, you know, whether you believe, whatever you believe, you know, because I, I, there's different sides of it. People think COVID's fake. People think it's real. You know, people are dying. So you got to have a little respect for that at the end of the day. I feel a little respect. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was just so out there. I literally watched it. Like, I don't even, I didn't even watch the whole movie. I watched maybe 20 minutes of it. And, you know, the majority of it was like these two big breasted blondes and a phone conversation between the two of them. And I'm like, oh my God, that's enough of this and shut it off. (laughs) Oh, you catch COVID with herpes. There's that uh, really good film with Dustin Hoffman about, I think, is that Outbreak? Outbreak. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the one with uh, uh, Kate Winslet. can't remember the name of that one either, but both of them are really good films and really. Um, Is it Contagion? Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, no, um, yeah. Frighteningly prophetic. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a lot. If you actually pay attention when you're going through a lot of these horror movies or just movies in general, if you actually, if people actually were to sit and read the description that they put, you would realize there's a lot more out there that are so suiting to right now that it's ridiculous. Cycles. Everything kind of comes yep. in cycles, you know what I mean? It's one of those things. It's like one of those things with like the Simpsons predicting... <laughs> that's funny i always you know? appreciate that yeah, yeah. <laughs> how is how is like the country life has that made it a little more bearable to deal with like the craziness of everything that's been cold oh, yeah yeah we're very fortunate here because uh you know my only interaction with other humans is uh once a week we go to the store once every week or two i gas up my old truck and other than that, I'm at the apartment, at the office, or I'm at the studio. So I'm kind of already uh, sequestered and isolated to begin with. So uh, I feel very lucky in that respect. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I love it up here. Yeah, like one of those, situ- are you in one of those situations where your like, nearest neighbor is like a mile down the road? Because like, I would love that if that was the case here. <laughs> Um, not quite a mile, but yeah, the studio is very remote. Uh, and, and we had a flood, uh, that's about a month now, a month ago now. And so the bridge over the West Kill Creek is out again. And so you, you can't even drive on the main road by the studio. You have to go up over Beach Ridge. So, the traffic now by the studio is almost non-existent because the bridge yeah. is out. It's going to be out for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I'd hate to live in the city during this stuff. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to socially distance. Like, you know, I, I have, I've been trying, I avoid it until like literally the last possible second of like going to like Walmart to grab stuff because yeah. there's no social distancing in Walmart. People really just don't care. And like, no, they don't wear the masks properly if they're even wearing one, you know, because now you've got people saying, oh, I have a health condition and, you know, you don't want to doubt them. It's called COVID. Yeah, I got a health condition called COVID. Yeah, like, I don't trust anybody. Like, I mean, I didn't trust people before, but now I like trust them even less because... A mask is not a political statement. (laughs) That's a double-sided, is that double-sided or is that two different ones? This is a different one. Ah, I like it. I like it. Now, are though? Can we buy those masks? And do they come in like a two pack? Because I'm gonna need both of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, my daughter sent me these, and I, I I couldn't answer that question. I don't know where she found them. Uh, it was a Christmas present for my youngest daughter, so I'm I'm sorry. Oh, that's awesome. What does your kids think of basket case? It's always a fun dynamic when, when you know, the kids get to see what their parents did and the, the fun, wild, crazy movies that people love. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, uh, you know, they've grown up with their old man being slightly crazy. So <laughs> it's kind of normal for them. Um, if you go on, if you go on the website, uh, one of, one of my sculptures is, uh, um, it's the Jill McCrudden Memorial and it's a six and a half ton block of bluestone that's a, a rearing horse and, and Jill on the horse in her wedding dress. And they grew up with this huge block of stone in the studio and watched it go from a big lump 
to the sculpture that you can see now. So for them, it's normal. Yeah. That, that dad is just crazy and does all this weird stuff. In fact, when, uh, I think it was the Arrow re-release, but I'm not sure of that. Um, Frank wanted to do a, a, a little, a little skit like, and I think he called it uh, Basket Case Three and a Half. Yeah. And uh, my daughters are in that, carrying a, a basket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you cool. ever taken them? Have they ever go- experienced like a convention weekend with you? Ha- were they ever a part of that? Uh, my oldest daughter has been to been to a con. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I don't think my youngest has. Um, but they both uh, joined us at uh, at MoMA uh, for the debut of the new, newly remastered film. Um, yeah, it's it's I don't know. <laughs> I, it's now, hard. do you have do you have grandkids that are going to be brought up on uh, basket not, case? Yet? Not yet, <laughs> not yet. You never know, though. You never know how things will play out. Yep, exactly. I was wondering what, what was the longest you've ever worked on a sculpture. You can almost consider a kid a sculpture. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, the the longest duration project was the Rip Van Winkle, which is at Hunter Mountain, which is a local ski area here. That was fourteen years, and the reason it was fourteen years is initially it was supposed to be five or maybe six years, and. In the beginning, when we started in 95, the festival season uh, at Hunter was 40-some days. And the idea was we carved only dirt. They have these music festivals, uh, Irish music, Celtic music, uh, country music, you know, German umpa bands. And the idea was that the festival goers could not only see the progress on the piece, but could watch us carving. We only carved during the festivals. The problem was, is that as soon as we began in 95, they started cutting down the festivals so that by the time we finished in 09, the festival season was down to like 12 days. And you don't get a hell of a lot done in stone carving in 12 days. Yeah. So that really stretched out the process. What was the longest you've ever worked on a, a, a carving and then like at the absolutely worst time broke like a piece that couldn't be fixed? You know <laughs> what I mean? Well, <clears throat> that is one of the uh, frequently asked questions. Um, <laughs> what happens if you make a mistake? And uh, my, my smart ass answer is there's no mistakes. It's executive design change. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, like that, yeah, 14 years, and that's, that's you know, like a, a, For example, a good carpenter isn't, a, isn't someone who never makes a mistake. Yeah. They just know how to deal with it, you know? Yeah, straight uh, up, yeah. And And if you do anything long enough, you start to figure it out after a while. Yeah. And you begin to understand what you can attempt and what you probably shouldn't attempt. Yeah. So... That, where do you where do you where do you draw most most of your inspiration from when you're creating your sculptures? Oh, all over songs, um, 
I did one piece that was inspired by a perfume ad in a magazine. You know, it, it depends. Uh, when I, most of my work, especially my, my, my most recent work, I trying to put over a concept and the idea is it's like a film. It's very much like a film. You want the, a static piece of stone that doesn't move and can't be changed to tell a story. And how do you do that? Um, So yeah, my inspiration comes from all over from nature, from, uh, from other humans, from advertising, uh, all over. Oh, yeah. are, are you going to end up being one of those creepy old guys that, you know, you see in a park carving chess pieces or, you know, while they're... <laughs> I, love it. I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done that? Like created like, you, or now maybe you have the idea to create like maybe like a chess set of little carvings of the characters from Basket Case. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be fun. That's a fun idea. You should patent that for sure. Someone fucking <laughs> stolen, yeah. I'm giving him the idea. I'm giving you the idea because who better to, you know, put that kind of a product out than the person that was actually in the film. Well, thank sure. you. <laughs> that would actually, like, that'd be a dope uh, conversation piece to have in your house, you know, especially, like, with all the, the crazy characters and, the, you know, the third one. Yeah, yeah. You've got more than enough characters there to probably make a, a nice <laughs> jet set from. That's True. a good idea, actually. <laughs> See? I know what type of box it can come in. Right? <laughs> no, that's for sure, yeah. They'll come in in a little wicker basket. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Has there ever been talks of a basket case four? I've been working on script for a fourth film. That'd be great. Um, yeah, I would like to do another one. Uh, because remember now, 11 of the baby Belials survived that night at the sheriff's. Yeah. I like that. And they, they would be in their early twenties now. I like that. It's a very yeah. tough time. Very tough time. And the, the, you see, Dwayne and, and his brother have survived this craziness and escaped to, uh, a, a mountain town, a, a, uh, far away from everything mountain town uh, only to discover that they've landed in a, in a in a place that is just about to explode with craziness on its own I like that I'm in, sign me up, sign me up. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Frank doesn't do it, I will do it I put my hat in the, I put my hat in the race that'd be cool, Frank would be a part of it though I feel like he's one of those dudes at this point It'd be very difficult to make a Basset Case film with Dove Frank. Well, if, if I can ever get it yeah. produced, uh, Frank would play one of the major parts in the film. Of course. Yeah. That'd be great. I, we don't see enough from Frank. I remember, are you familiar with a rapper named Ari the Rugged Man? Yep. 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 I, I shot a show for, for, for Ari. We're, we're going to get him on the show, uh, the show soon. He's a good dude. I know Frank did the, his uh, Bloodshed Hua music video way back in the day. Yeah, you, yeah. How'd you meet Ray? Through Frank or Ra? I mean, I don't know that I've ever met him. I know of him yeah. through Frank, you know, from that time. Um, I, I don't know that I have met him, in fact. Yeah, he's very within um, 
He's a big horror fan, and uh, yeah, all right, he's good people. Yeah, I'd love to see a new Basket Case movie. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. I think it's time. I think yeah, it's time too. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, you know, introduce these millennials or whatever you want to call them. You know, that think that these PG horror movies are the best things out there. You know, show them what horror movies are supposed to be like. Yep. yep. This break, maybe this break could be good for that, where people be so hungry for, you know, films when they come back that, like, if if, if, if filmmakers were to approach, because, you know, money is kind of a big deal with everything, getting these films made. So, right. like, maybe, like, a crowdfunding, like, if if, if the community, like, ever worked, worked as one to fully get behind and crowdfund, like, they could. Like, the horror community, if they really wanted to and join together, the community could start could fund the next basket case movie could fund the next movie from whatever franchise that they love they just would have to organize to do it but they could do it it'd be interesting i think so i agree would you I, want it would yeah. you want it now would you want it to stay more towards like the practical like that practical effects or would you want to jump more on the the cg bandwagon oh to no modernize has, it as little CGI as possible, yeah. we, we, we'd have to have Gabe involved in a lot of practical effects, yeah. yeah. And the other thing that I want to do is I want to play Belial. Uh, in the past, Belial has been these little rubber things, yeah. um, which, which work to a point. But I want to make Belial a real character now. I like that. You know? I like that. I like that a lot. If, if, if a Pokemon can evol- evolutionize, why not black? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Don't mind me. It's been a long day. So, like, just crazy random thoughts pop into my mind at, you know, the weirdest times. <laughs> oh, crap. You're crazy, Mel. Mel. You're mad, Mel. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, like I said, I get I get the weirdest ideas at the weirdest times. So. Yeah. <laughs> Got to start writing them down. Yeah, I know, right? And it, it always seems to be why we're doing a show that I come up with the craziest stuff. That's good because we're recording and now it's documented. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll, Kevin will be able to go back and be like, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, I'm going to do a chessboard. If you That's decide right. to do that, I want one. That's, <laughs> right. That's all she requests. Yeah, that's all I request. I, I, you can have the you can have the idea. I just want <laughs> I just want a chessboard when they go into pro- after they come out of production. <laughs> well, yeah, we will certainly give you credit for the uh, concept. Fair enough. <laughs> Works for me. I, I you know I'm not trying to get rich. I really don't care at this point in the game. <laughs> now it's just money. Yeah. Now, yeah. I mean, it's nice, but you know, money doesn't always buy happiness. So. What's money in the world of sickness? You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, right, right now I kind of wish I was where Kevin is, in the woods somewhere, you know, far away from everybody. We want cameos in Basket Case 4. Yes. It happens. That's yeah. definite. I'll, I'll even, I don't care if you have to, you know, if it's prosthetics galore, you know, to be one of the creatures they, that you come up with. <laughs> and people will fly. I think the, the, the fans love her enough that it, it, it it, it, it could get done. It could get some some financial backing from the fans, I think, as well as the support of showing up of, of you know, like trauma. Trauma is very, you know, fan orientated with their machine where they do, you know, they'll have fans show up and work for free and sleep on the floor and eat cheese sandwiches to to, to make their films. There's no reason why I think 
well, I think that I, other filmmakers, I think, don't want <laughs> their fans doing that. We're trauma. We love trauma. But trauma don't mind their fans getting dirty to make their movies, too, I guess. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> but I think everybody would get dirty to see some Basket Case for. Uh, thank you. That, Hell yeah. yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Well, with that, Mel, do you have anything else you want to ask? Unfortunately, at the moment, I can't possibly think of anything, but I would definitely love to keep this idea of Basket Case 4 going. Yeah. I, I kind of want to pose that as a question on the show page and, you know, see what kind of responses we get. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. We'll keep it going. Do you want to, um, is there anywhere, I know you got the website. Do you want to just rattle off a few things where people can find you or go look at your, your, your sculptures, your art, any movies you want them to grab? Social media. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I am on Facebook. Um, there are two Facebook pages with my name. Um, one of them I do not have control over thanks to the ineptitude of Facebook, but the other one is me. It's really me. And the other way to get a hold of me is uh, my website, uh, www.kevinvanage.com. And uh, you can see some of my work on there. And uh, I try to keep Facebook uh, up to date with what's going on. I also do a free stone carving class every year normally. Mm. Uh, This year would have been our 13th season for that. And that takes place up here on the mountaintop in the town of Hunter. It's called the Hunter Stone Carving Seminar. And it's free and open to everyone. Hopefully, uh, we will be back in gear this summer with actual classes. We will have a website for the class shortly. And uh, thank you guys so much for having me on your show. Thank oh, you thank so you. much. It's, it, it's our honor to have a... Walking legends. Yeah. Us. Oh yeah. <laughs> you hear that? Yeah, you hear that? I don't want to get I don't want to get killed in my sleep. You know, I got to keep the guy in the basket happy. You get clawed up. <laughs> True. Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. He's he's t- got got he's mellowed out in older age. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's enjoyed being on the show though. Well, we appreciate having him. I mean, if well. he wants to make a quick appearance, we wouldn't have a problem with that either. He's he sleepy. He's sleepy. Thank you. He's camera shy. He has, he has the COVID. He's getting rest right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put him in. We'll put him in. We'll, we'll, we'll add. We'll, in, in the description, we'll say he was with us there in spirit. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. But Lyle wasn't <laughs> able to social distance and is, uh, you know, in quarantine now. There you go. Kevin, we got to do a film together, too. Once COVID breaks, man, I want to get you in on something. Sign me up, man. Hell yeah. You know what I'd love to? I'd love to uh, start making a career of playing crazy old men. Yeah, I like that. You know? That's better than my life right now. I'm going to start doing that in real life. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so thank you. And, And, yeah, sounds good. Awesome. Awesome. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Maddie will uh, be the one that does do um, basket case for. <laughs> I would love to, but I, I think uh, Frank. I would love to see Frank do it. I think Frank will do it, um, and I think this film will come to, to to fruition. I like the story a lot, and I think the fans will get behind it. 
And that's the thing. That's the tough thing with the with with all the all of it is getting the support because sometimes the fans, even though in their heart of hearts they know what they want to see, that their their wallets don't quite go in the direction of what they want to see. So hopefully, now, yeah, yeah. So hopefully, all that that'll work out. But it'd be cool. I'd love to see it for sure. Well, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of these fan movies, these movies that are, you know, they raise the money from the fans and you see them and they're not so great. So, I mean, we, and you take, but you they like can a, be made. And you got like Elijah Wood, who's a gigantic horror fan that's like producing a bunch of like reboots and sequels nowadays. So, like, or, you, or even Kevin Smith. Or Kevin Smith, you catch the right, yeah, you catch the eye of the right person, I think, and they'll yeah, give you, yeah. to help you get it made a little bit, I think. Maybe we should start pitching it on Twitter for him. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll wait for the call, but once we get the tap, we'll promote the hell out of it. Yeah. Sure. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. We love you over here. You got nothing but love over here for you. That's been Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You I, stay safe, all right? You too. You thank well. you very much. You. Kevin, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Uh, All right, you guys have a great evening. All right, you thank too. Thank you, you very well. much. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, folks. We'll catch y'all on the next episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie.